from Wondery. I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. Today, we wrap up our series on the grudge match between the USFL and the NFL. The United States Football League Championship Game, 1985. We took you back to the 80s when an upstart spring football league came along and tried to score on the NFL's turf. The USFL, backed by a new set of owners, including the likes of Donald Trump, attempted to change the face and feel of America's most popular sport. In the end, the USFL folded, but the league did have a lasting impact on the game. Many of its players and coaches went on to NFL stardom, and rules first initiated by the USFL, like the two-point conversion and the coaches' challenge, are now staples of the National Football League. Today, the NFL faces new business challenges. There are new concerns about football injuries after another tough hit in the NFL overnight. There you see Brandon Williams from the Colts. Helmet on helmet hit. He was taken off the field with concussion. Widespread criticism over the safety of the sport and the league's response to players kneeling during the national anthem to protest racial injustice have sports watchers questioning the future of the NFL. Mike Pesca is a longtime sports journalist and podcaster for Slate, and before that, for NPR. He is host of the Slate Daily podcast, The Gist, and author of the new book, Upon Further Review, The Greatest What-Ifs in Sports History. We're bringing him on the show to talk about some of the biggest uncertainties around professional football today. We talk about risks facing the NFL, whether a new league could make it today, and what our culture would look like if football never took off in the first place. I hope you enjoy our conversation. This episode is brought to you by Decoy, an acclaimed winery in the Duckhorn portfolio. Make the holidays memorable when you give the gift of wine country with Decoy Wines. Established more than 30 years ago by legendary vintners Dan and Margaret Duckhorn, they craft their wines to the highest standards using grapes from exceptional vineyards. Ask for Decoy Cabernet Sauvignon, Pinot Noir, or Chardonnay wherever you buy wine, or visit decoywines.com celebrate to find all of their wines near you. Getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit is another reason banking with Capital One is one of the easiest decisions in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts. Come on, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A., member FDIC. Mike Pesca is host of the Slate podcast, The Gist, and he is author of the new book, Upon Further Review, The Greatest What-Ifs in Sports History. Mike, it's a real honor and privilege to have you on Business Wars. Thanks so much for doing this. Oh, it's my pleasure. Hey, football is, uh, I guess you could say, America's uh, favorite professional sport. Still is. Uh, I don't think NASCAR ever superseded football. And uh, the NFL has been called the biggest show 
in the country, if not on earth. I mean, what do you make of the league today, especially considering the many controversies that have been surrounding it from taking a knee to, uh, you know, to, to head injuries? Well, in America, we used to have a monoculture when there were three or maybe four TV networks and a few evening news broadcasts, but we've gotten fractured and we've gotten away from that. And the one exception is football. So not only is it the most dominant sport, I also think that it's to a great extent the closest thing that we have to a cultural glue. If you look at the ratings of the top 20 shows, the top 20 individually aired programs in any year, football will be... I don't know, 16 of the top 20 or so. People think the Academy Awards is right there under the Super Bowl. No, there are three to five football games before you even get to something like the Academy Awards and maybe a Big Bang Theory will sneak in there. So yeah, it's now it's not like um, most people are even watching every game, but it's the closest thing we have to a shared experience, an agreed upon experience. And I think it says something about America in 2019 that we can't even agree upon football. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, there's something to that, I, I'm, I'm sure. But what about in a business sense? I mean, part of what we've been exploring in, as the, in, in the course of, of, of examining the USFL and its uh, sudden rise was how the NFL was sort of a, a dominant business player. And I assume that especially given the television revenue that uh, we're still talking about uh, football, uh, the NFL in particular, as, as dominant. Yeah, yeah. Football is collectively the value of the teams are worth um, possibly close to $100 billion in revenue. It makes upwards of $15 billion. Roger Goodell has predicted that football would be a $25 billion industry within a decade. So you can see from a business perspective, look, we don't have to take half the audience or a quarter of the audience. If you just take a few crumbs from that gigantic pie, you could be pretty rich. So I understand why someone would say, hey, what if we're just a pale copy, just a tenth or even a fiftieth of football? We could still have an enterprise that makes us a lot of money. The problem is, historically, it's been hard to do that. Yeah, I want to go back. Do you remember when you first heard about the USFL? I mean, were you already plugged into football at, at, at that point when the USFL made its debut? Yeah, in the early 1980s, I was a big New York Jets fan, which doesn't make that much sense uh, because they weren't that good. Although there was one year, one strike shortened year, that they had a decent enough team. And I remember uh, Donald Trump, who was by then a fixture in New York uh, media and real estate circles. And I remember him going on the Letterman show and talking about how he took over Eastern Airlines and it's going to be the Trump shuttle. He just seemed like one of these billionaires or millionaires on the make. And he announced plans for a USFL team. They were going to be called the generals. And but the name, the name Donald Trump wasn't the most associated name with the generals. Who was, was Herschel Walker, the great, perhaps one of the greatest college running backs of all time. He joins the generals. And if you want to watch a great college Heisman Trophy running back, he was the only way to watch it. And there were a lot of eyes on Herschel Walker, Brian Sipe, who was a former Cleveland Browns, very good NFL quarterback who he hired to be on the team. And the the roster of the generals was a decent roster, a plausible, they wouldn't have won five games in the NFL, but I don't think they would have gone 0 for 16. So we put together a very interesting, watchable product, as did a few of the other owners at the time. 
It's funny you should mention Herschel Walker because I was uh, growing up in Georgia at the time, and you can imagine, you know, you have this Heisman Trophy winner who put UGA on the map in many respects. I mean, it just yeah. you made it a championship team, and you wanted to, you just expected that he would be going to the NFL, and when the USFL scooped him up, uh, what a surprise! And I remember feeling both a sense of letdown that maybe I wouldn't get to watch him, you know, in this new league, Mm -hmm. but also a sense that something new and exciting was about to happen. Spring football. I mean, that's crazy, you know? And unless memory is, it doesn't serve, it seems like Herschel Walker jumped to the USFL before he could have jumped to the NFL because of the rules. Do, Do you remember any of that? I think that back then there was uh, a restriction against underclassmen coming to the NFL and the USFL did away with all of that. In fact, I think the USFL was pretty much open to anyone joining their league. They were a pirate type organization. But you also have to realize, you know, the early seasons of the USFL, it was only 15 years removed from the AFL. And what the AFL did was they took another exciting Southern player and brought him to a New York team. And that was Joe playing for the Jets. And so, and that was my team. Oh yeah. And that was a model of uh, an upstart league. They were a fall football league, but an upstart league challenging the establishment and winning and becoming absorbed into the NFL. And then uh, even more recently than that, the ABA, which was the, uh, the organization that challenged the NBA and it was more exciting and they had multicolored balls and they had three point shooting and many of their teams got absorbed into the NBA. So this idea especially in the early 80s before football became this culturally dominant juggernaut. I would say back then, by the way, baseball was the national sport. This idea that you couldn't possibly challenge the NFL, it's not true. Maybe in retrospect, it seems true, but a good business plan could have, and a lot of people in retrospect look back and say, in fact, would have challenged the NFL, established the USFL as a league to be reckoned with. So why didn't the USFL become uh, a part of the NFL as, as Donald Trump wished that it had. I mean, obviously he wanted to have an NFL team and part of his strategy was to get uh, ownership of the generals. Yes. And I think, and this is, this is mostly going by the accounts that have been written, the ESPN documentary books on the NFL, and maybe it relies on the great man or the infamous man of history a little too much. But the answer is Donald Trump, it seems. Because Donald Trump, just like he was a guy from Queens who always looked at Manhattan as looking down on him and wanted to be part of the senior circuit in Manhattan, I think looked at the fact that the USFL was spring football. And he couldn't live with that. He wanted to directly challenge the NFL. And a lot of other owners, maybe without the economic wherewithal to oppose him, said this was a bad idea. There, we, we have a plan. If we stick to this plan, we can make money in the future. But it's very important that we're a spring league. And Donald Trump said no. Donald Trump says we're going head to head because he couldn't be second best. And he also engaged in a uh, court fight simultaneously as he brought the USFL into the fall. And that just ruined it. There was no way to compete head-to-head with the NFL. But that's just it, right? I mean, if, if in fact, Trump's idea that the USFL would be absorbed into the NFL, like the AFL, with which you were just talking about earlier, if that had happened, 
it could have been a gold mine for certainly for all the owners and who knows how many other uh, uh, football fans in some of the uh, uh, smaller cities, for example. Yeah. So I guess I, I wonder why it hasn't happened. And when you consider what's going on right now, you have the XFL, you have the Alliance of American Football, which uh, is you know just just getting off the ground now. I mean. Is this basically, given the NFL's position in sports and business today, is it basically a game where you're, you can't really take on the NFL head-to-head? It's always going to be about trying to get a foot into the door with the hope of getting absorbed somehow by, uh, by the Leviathan. Yes, I do think so. And I think that there is a very real and practical concern with just in terms of salaries. And this is not true uh, for a couple of reasons with the USFL, but just in terms of salaries, you can't pay players more than the NFL can. I suppose neither of these two new leagues can do so. I suppose you could imagine a league founded by uh, billionaires that wouldn't mind burning money for a while that went with that strategy. But the NFL... Uh, make so much money that they could afford to pay their players more. And so what you get with this league is necessarily minor leagues. Uh, One of the two leagues essentially wants to work with the NFL and be something like Mm -hmm. spring training or a feeder system. And the other one is standing a little bit apart outside of that, but very much is trading on, all right, here are the guys who you might have known from college who washed out of the NFL, or here are guys who didn't get a chance. I don't think it's a dumb strategy, but it is the reality of of uh, the economics they're dealing with. All right, well, given the reality, is that good for the players? Is it good for the game? What's your take? Um, I think that it's always good for players to have more uh, opportunity to apply your trade in different uh, for different owners, for different leagues. If you look at European soccer, what they call football, it, the English Premier League benefits from La Liga uh, Spanish league being so good benefits from the Bundesliga. They all benefit from having this robust uh, football soccer tradition. And of course, players can jump from team to team and get paid astronomically more than any American football player can. The complication with all of this is that when we talk about football, unlike most every other sport, I love football and I'm for professional football, but it's hard for me to say that football is a good period. It is hard for me to say that more football in the world would be a good thing just because of everything we know about the dangers of football and head trauma. Now, maybe you could argue, maybe you could argue that, well, that is just the dangers as the NFL is the dominant league uh, was hiring so-called experts and trying to deny uh, the medicine and Um, glorifying dangerous hits and dangerous plays. Maybe it's not inherently about football. Maybe it's just football as it's been practiced. I don't know. That seems like a hypothetical. It seems like a sport with a lot of dangers. If we we extend that out, I wonder if this might be the biggest risk then for the NFL at the moment, these, these health considerations. What do you think? I do think so. Uh, I don't think it's as dire as some people do. You know, Malcolm Gladwell, I think he says so as a provocation, but he says there'll be no football in 10 years. Don't know about that. I do know that the long-term trends are that fewer adults are allowing their kids to sign up for youth football for the first time. And this is true with youth football. For the first time on the high school level, the latest statistics uh, revealed a decline in participation in high school football. And the other biggest thing that's happened is insurers are not underwriting 
uh, recreational football. There's now only one insurer left that will underwrite it. Now that, by the way, it's a little complicated because when there's an, a, a let's move away from football argument, people will say sports like soccer, sports like lacrosse. Lacrosse also has the same problem with underwriting because there's a, a lot of concussions in lacrosse and a lot of concussions in ice hockey. I do think that it can be reformed and it's, it's also so, so popular now. We're not talking about the popularity of fidget spinners, you know, which was, was a fad. It's been so popular for so long. And if you're from a place like, I don't know, Texas, it's more than a sport. It's yeah. definitely a religion. Yeah. So it's easy for me yeah. who is, I'm talking to you from Brooklyn right now. It's easy for me to say, I don't know if they're going to play football. I see a lot of kids in my, uh, my son's school with soccer kits on. I think the picture in, in Texas looks a lot different. You tell me. Yeah. Well, I think you've got a really big point there. But who do you see as the NFL's biggest competitor right now? And obviously, we're not just talking about the new leagues that are springing up. But, you know, you mentioned soccer, for example. A lot of people have pinned their hopes on soccer being the next big thing. Yeah, I think the biggest competitor is Fortnite or esports <laughs> yeah. in general. <laughs> Good point. Not, Good point. Yeah, I'm I'm not yeah. even being I'm not being glib. I mean, if you want to limit it to what sport actually played outdoors where you break a sweat is the big competitor. We could talk about that. But I think the league even views itself as our our competition is everyone's attention and every young person's attention and older person's attention and you know video games but also esports are so captivating to a younger generation in a way that what we think of as actual sports sports played on a field or a pitch or at least an, a bowling alley or something you know uh, the esports are much more popular in terms of Games, yes. Uh, soccer is rising in popularity. It's far behind. I think as America becomes more diversified, uh, it will become more and more popular. But I also think uh, football players will start refle- reflecting America's diversity. On the youth level, there's a lot of statistics that lacrosse is really captivating because, you know, Young boys do need, or at least, I mean, I did, just a chance to ram their bodies against others. You know, the actual idea of just physically crashing into someone every is, is, is important. And every culture has a tackling sport, you know, from rugby to wrestling to uh, some versions in Mongolia of, you know, their, their goat polo. But there, the physical contact kind of sport as a way to sublimate the desire of war or violence is really important. And I think that adolescent boys will always be drawn to that. And I think their parents will always want a chance for them to find a, a healthy outlet for that need. Ready for a new ride, but not sure where to start? Meet the tool that makes car shopping and financing easier. With Capital One Auto Navigator, you can find a car and get pre-qualified instantly. You'll get your real rate and monthly payment without even impacting your credit score. In fact, it's so simple you might feel like you're taking the easy way out. (laughs) That's because you are. Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at CapitalOne.com slash Autonavigator. Open enrollment is here. While you're shopping around, don't forget to head over to JoinCrowdHealth.com slash fit to find out how CrowdHealth can save you 40 to 60% in health care costs each year. CrowdHealth isn't health insurance. 
it's a modern way to pay medical expenses. CrowdHealth is able to offer amazing prices because of its community of health-conscious members. And for a limited time, my listeners get their first month free. And after you've been a member, CrowdHealth will include a fitness wearable. Just go to joincrowdhealth.com fit, promo code BW. CrowdHealth is not health insurance. It's a community-powered alternative. Terms and conditions may apply. I assume, Mike, that you're still uh, a Jets fan. Is that right? Yes, yes. Uh, unfortunately. <laughs> so I, I have to ask you, nonetheless, given the the dominance of the Patriots, w- winning six times since 2002, I think only the Steelers have won more Super Bowls, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you think this is a good thing or a bad thing for the league? Um, first of all, the Jets uh, are to blame, at least in large part, for the uh, <laughs> Patriots' ascendance the, and all the other teams in their division. The Patriots, uh, by having never having opposition in the AFC, never have to try hard, never have to risk their health. Yeah, so so it's spoken like fault. a true Jets, Jets fan for sure. Yeah. Jets, Dolphins, and Bills definitely a part of the yeah. blame. Is it good for football? Well. I kind of think it's good. I mean, I think history shows that dominant franchises as at least a North Star to uh, strive for or to, you know, define your team against. It's it's usually good as an animating feature. When the Yankees were dominant in baseball, they still are. When the Montreal Canadiens dominated hockey in the 70s, those were good periods for those sports. I also think that the Patriots, one, one way that you could really tell how good they are is that Bill Bell Belichick has different kind of coaching schemes, but there is some consistency to his style, and it's one of risk-taking and not being bound to tradition, and it is opening up the league for possibilities. So if you're like me and any endeavor that you pay attention to, you want interesting ideas injected into that rather than this is the way we've always done it. And Belichick doesn't do it the way they've always done it. He has He takes chances. He goes for it on fourth down. He has good, interesting, strange plays. So take away his personality, um, which maybe is a little overblown. I think he, I think he's good for the league. M- most people will disagree with me because they have this visceral reaction. And as a Jets fan, you know, people will be saying, how do you like the Jets and still can compliment Belichick? I just see what he's done. <laughs> I've, I empirically look at what he's done and I marvel at it. Uh, care to weigh in on this controversy over kneeling during the national anthem? I mean, uh, you think this is going to have a lasting impact on the league? No, I don't. I think that the uh, league moved away from it in a decent way. Their ratings were up, although we were talking about a ratings decline that was so infinitesimal, and I think the ratings decline was almost entirely based on the fact that in our fractured media world, almost all TV shows, literally all but one or two TV shows two years ago, had a ratings decline. I think Jane the Virgin and one of the CSIs didn't. Literally, that was it for the hundreds of TV shows. And so, the NFL is a TV show at a ratings decline. And I also think that an overreaction to what Kaepernick is trying to say doesn't help the league. 
um, brands the league as exactly what I was talking about in terms of Belichick as hidebound, bound to tradition. I think Donald Trump took advantage of it. Look, it, it doesn't surprise me that when you have the president, the guy with the biggest meta- megaphone in the United States every day denigrating football and saying, if you're with me, you're against football, it would hurt ratings a little bit. But he stopped doing that. And I don't think he stopped doing that. And then ratings went up. I think ratings went up and therefore he stopped doing that. He knew that it was no longer uh, a winning issue as he defined it. I think it's, it is kind of, there's no way that we'll look back on this in 20 years and say that the force, that the anti uh, free expression forces were right in this case. You got to understand what Kaepernick's trying to say and realize that, you know, history will certainly judge him as it judges the athletes in Mexico City and and, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and, and Muhammad Ali. And we right, always yeah, are against thinking, activist yeah. athletes in the moment. And then we, they, we, we, we always come to view them as martyrs and heroes. You know, see, I, I believe you said, and I, I hope I didn't mishear you. I think you said that you thought that baseball was actually uh, the national sport, not so much football, as I'd said out of the gate there. Uh, uh, but I was reading, a, there's a Gallup poll that says actually baseball seems to be declining in popularity while the NBA uh, seems to be picking up a whole lot of fans. Uh, what do you yeah. make of that? Well, what I said was in the early 80s when the USFL was around back then, baseball was the national sport. I do think the NBA, especially because of its international appeal, baseball has baseball has an appeal in this hemisphere and uh, some parts of Asia. But the NBA is popular everywhere, and basketball is popular everywhere. And they're also a sport that is, A, more forward-looking. Their commissioner, Adam Silver, is progressive. I don't mean politically, though that may be true. Just what he embraces and what he's against and the fact that you would never see NBA athletes punished for expressing their views, the fact that he recognized that gambling could be a friend to the NBA, whereas the other leagues, the NFL chief among them, trying to stop this inevitable this inevitability. But I understand why baseball is not as popular. It's it, it's just, you know, the average game's over three hours and the average nothing in America today is over three hours. Whereas the NBA is great. It's short. The per- You get to see the athletes and know them as personalities. It lends itself to Twitter and Instagram. It has a lot of, just as, just as football is a perfect sport for television, I think basketball is a perfect sport for Twitter and social media. You know, uh, you got this new book out uh, upon further review, The Greatest What-Ifs in Sports History. And let me just throw one out at you. Uh, let's say that things didn't end the way that they did for the USFL. Could you imagine uh, what, what might have been with the USFL had things turned out differently, had Donald Trump not been such a prominent factor, say? What, what do you think? I think the USFL would have continued as a spring league for a few more years. The product would have gotten better, and the NFL owners would have started to say, okay, we could partner with them. We could take a few of their teams. We could maybe expand our league by one or two cities or three or four cities, and we'll buy them out. And I think that's probably what would have happened, just like the San Antonio Spurs and the New Jersey Nets and the Indianapolis, uh, the Indiana Pacers exist in the NBA as vestiges of the ABA. I, I wouldn't be surprised if in, in 2019 there was, you know, a Generals and a, uh, a, a Memphis Stars and a, let's say, Houston Wranglers. 
Boy, that's, I love how you think about this stuff. I mean, it's, it's obviously thinking counterfactually is, is the centerpiece of, of your new book. Like, you know, what if uh, Bobby Riggs beat Billie Jean King, uh, you know, back in the Battle of the Sexes? And, you know, what if the U.S. boycotted Hitler's Olympics? How did you get on this track of thinking along these lines? Yeah, well, as a sports fan, whenever there is a season that ends in disappointment, and we've established I'm a Jets fan, which is every season in my lifetime, but also I'm a Mets fan, which is like every season but one, and I'm also a Knicks fan, which is every season in my lifetime. So you add them all up. I've only seen one championship of the teams I rooted for, but I worked for uh, NPR for 10 years as a sports reporter for most of those years. And I went to the World Cup and the Super Bowl and the Final Four and the confetti would rain down and I would inevitably say, well, what if my team won? But that's kind of selfish. Uh, I don't know that non-Jets fans would care that much. So I started thinking about the (laughs) nature of what if and how you could rewrite history from a basis of fact. So it's this nice combination of fact and fiction. There are some what if books about history, um, you know, turning points in the Civil War or, or, or the War of 1812, those always fascinated me, especially when you can make a plausible case because we think history is inevitable. It's not. It's just that that's how it uh, it's spelled out. So as I began to think about that, I thought it was a good fertile ground. And so then I called up a couple people who would be contributors. We talked about a couple stories and the project was born. That's great. I mean, one of your what ifs is what if football never took off? How, how do you ultimately resolve that? What sport do you think would have taken its place? Well, we do a couple with uh, the what if. One, what if uh, football didn't take off is written by Jason Gay of the Wall Street Journal. And he talks, I think, mostly about soccer. But the answer isn't, the joy is in the journey to talk about a Sunday without football and all the things that would be different. You know, and he's a very funny writer, so he takes a little foray into how this would hurt the foam finger industry without those number one <laughs> fingers. <Yeah. laughs> like it's very, right. You very rarely see them waving around for a soccer team. Um, it just gives us just to give us back our Sundays and realize how much or uh, how much is inflected by football or just how much uh, our language is inflected by football. And, you know, Hail Mary passes would maybe be called penalty kicks or something like that. Just in terms of, yeah. you know, Amy Klobuchar's Hail Mary bid for the presidency would maybe be called, I don't know, a suicide squeeze for the presidency it would affect all of our lives. <laughs> and then we also had Nate Jackson, who's the former Denver Bronco and a football player kind of reimagined the game. What if it were invented today, knowing what we know about head trauma and also knowing what we know about what makes a sport exciting. And he kind of creates uh, a hybrid football and I don't know, I don't want to say ultimate Frisbee, but his big thing is that there won't be these obese linemen who don't touch the ball protecting this semi-fragile guy who in many ways is the worst athlete on the field, but has a good arm. So it's everyone on a football field would be an athlete. And it would be a little more like rugby, but there'd be downs and there'd be distances. It's a good thought experiment to figure out from an NFL player what could make football a little bit less dangerous and more exciting. Yeah, uh, what you're hitting on is something that I think is really wonderful uh, in the in your in your new book upon further review, The Greatest What Ifs in Sports History. You're talking about you're talking about sports as culture, and uh, and and that's what's so exciting uh, about uh, about the journey that you take us on in, in the new book, Mike. You've been awfully generous with your time. Thanks so much for uh, for spending a, a little bit of it with Business Wars. We sure do appreciate it. You're welcome. 
That was my conversation with Mike Pesca. Check out his new book upon further review and make sure you give his podcast a listen too. It's called The Gist. Next time on Business Wars, Death Row Records versus Bad Boy Records, a music rivalry that forever changed American culture and commerce. Thanks for listening to Business Wars. New episodes come out every Monday and Wednesday. You can subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Wondery.com, or wherever you're listening right now. Let us know what you think by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or dropping a note to us on Twitter. We're at Business Wars. If you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe over the cover art of this podcast, and you'll find some episode notes, including some details you may have missed. You'll also find some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you haven't checked out Wondery Plus yet, head over to Wondery.com slash plus. That's P-L-U-S to subscribe. You'll find extra content, early access, and exclusive perks. Business Wars is hosted by yours truly, David Brown. This episode was produced by Katie Long, mixing by Bay Area Sound. Karen Lowe is the senior editor and producer of Business Wars. Jenny Lauer Beckman is our editor and producer. The executive producer is Marshall Louie. And Business Wars was created by Hernan Lopez. For Wondering. Hey, grown-ups! it's Guy Raz and Mindy here from Wow in the World. As you may have heard, kids over the age of five are now eligible to receive the COVID-19 vaccine. And for some kids, that news is a big relief. But for others, that news brings a lot of anxiety and questions. Questions like, will it hurt? What's going to happen? And will it give me a tail? We'll answer a lot of your questions in our new episode of Wow in the World. And spoiler alert, Mindy... The vaccine does not give you a tail. Oh, man! Join us as we learn about the science behind the COVID-19 vaccine and encourage our friend to overcome his fear of shots to get vaccinated, too. Because while we know that shots can be scary, we also know that science is amazing. Listen to this special episode of Wow in the World wherever you get your podcasts November 22nd right now on Amazon Music or ad-free when you subscribe to Wondery Plus Kids through Apple Podcasts.